Thank you for joining us for the Lafayette Church of Christ Sermon Podcast. Please join us each week as we listen to lessons given on Sunday mornings at the Lafayette Church of Christ. And good morning, church. It uh, has been, been great to be here this morning, and it's a pleasure, as always, to, to worship with you. And I want to, uh, again, welcome those joining us online and, and also uh, any visitors we have with us. Uh, this morning, we're going to be in our, our final sermon uh, in this series out of 1 Kings uh, with a really intense sermon titled this morning, uh, Continual Evil, Continual Warfare. A really encouraging message uh, in front of us today. Uh, but before we, we get there, uh, I want to talk about the, the next couple of weeks at Lafayette and uh, what to expect regarding the, the weekly preaching and also our Sunday morning uh, adult Bible classes. Before I do that, I was going to try to avoid doing this, but I have lost uh, like about half of my hearing over the last couple of days because I've got kind of a clogged head uh, with so much knowledge right now. Uh, <laughs> some, something going on in my head, and I think it's spreading somehow. So a couple of you are... Uh, probably tired of me griping about it, but I have no clue how loud I'm talking right now. So just uh, bear with me this morning. When I was trying to sing, I could only hear my voice in my head, and that was a terrible experience. Um, so bear with me. I'm being facetious. Ethan Laster is act- actually cannot hear out of one of his ears, and he downplays it. He's ne- he never t- spends a minute talking about it, but I have no clue how he does this. So uh, Ethan is all-, all the better of a teacher and preacher to be able to to speak without being able to hear. So uh, bear with me and, and my ear woes this morning. Let me talk about the next... Uh, <laughs> Lacey is going, move on. So I'm going to move on. Um, okay, next couple Sundays here at Lafayette, then we'll get, get back uh, into the planned uh, words for this morning. Uh, next Sunday is, is uh, Labor Day weekend, so a couple things here. Uh, there's not going to be any class next weekend as we're going to be on our, our kind of typical holiday schedule. So worship will start at 10 a.m., uh, Nate Reiser is going to be preaching, and I've asked him to do a, a standalone message, not part of this series or the next series, because uh, we're going to have some, some different folks out of town between weddings and the, and the holiday weekend and stuff. So that's next Sunday. Don't come here at 9 o'clock or come here and just, you'll just be drinking coffee. Um, and then Nate's, Nate's going to be preaching for us um, uh, next week. So then the following Sunday, which is, is September 11th, actually, uh, it's going to be kind of a, a big Sunday for us here. So in terms of the worship hour, we're going to be starting a new sermon series entitled How God Became King. And in that series, we're going to pivot from this material on, on King Solomon uh, and 1 Kings to a focus on King Jesus uh, from, from the Gospel of Matthew in the last, last couple of chapters. Uh, the kingdom of God and, and Christ as king are really big themes in the Gospel of Matthew. And so we're going to look at a, a couple of those chapters, chapter 26 and 27, leading up to Jesus' crucifixion to build more on this idea of, of how Christ came down among us and became our king and, and took up his uh, position on, on his throne, which, which happened to, to be a cross. And so that's going to be the next sermon series. Um, that Sunday, we're also going to be having two new class series starting And so not only are they new class years, but we wrote a little bit of this in the email Friday, if if you read it. Um, But we're going to have a a new format for this next, uh, not really calendar year, but between Labor Day this year and Labor Day next year, we're going to kind of experiment with a new approach to class. And so we're going to have two different classes, and this is going to allow us to have a 
greater diversity of, of teachers, of class content, even of different approaches to class. And so typically this coming little mini quarter and moving forward, uh, there's going to be a class that meets in here. I'm going to kind of be the bad guy and make everyone bunch towards the middle. And we'll have a class in here that's a little bit more uh, teaching focused. And, and then there's going to be a class in the fellowship hall uh, that's going to be a little bit more discussion focused. There'll be teaching and there'll be discussion in, in both, uh, obviously, but that'll be kind of the, the slant there. Uh, this first mini quarter is, is going to be uh, nine weeks. And I would really challenge uh, all of you to make class a priority. We're in a really kind of sweet, sweet position right here at Lafayette now where we have a lot of different people who, who can bless us in that, that time of Bible study. Uh, and so I encourage you, if you've never been in that rhythm before, if you want to get back, in, back into that rhythm, that this is a really good time to. Here in the worship center, so again, you're going to show up. I'm going to be a bad guy, push you all towards the middle. Uh, we're going to uh, have Nate Reiser teaching that class, and it's uh, going to be a class on wisdom literature in the Old Testament. I think we have a slide for that. Uh, I think it's going to be especially Ecclesiastes, but also looking at Song of Solomon, which we don't look at a whole lot, uh, Proverbs, Job, James, so these different wisdom books. And some of that material is traditionally tied to King Solomon. So there's going to be kind of some neat overlap between uh, looking at Solomon's story and then looking at some of the, the writings. Uh, so that's Old Testament class with Nate, a little bit more of a teaching focus here in the worship center. And then our second class option is going to be in the fellowship hall, and that's going to be Steve Ruckman uh, leading a discussion-oriented class on the, the final week in the life of Christ. Uh, and each week of class will be one of, one of those days from like Palm Sunday to, to Resurrection Sunday. So I think maybe the first week is an intro, and then the other eight weeks will be like Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Obviously, we know a lot more about like Friday than, than Monday, um, but that, that's kind of how that class is going to unfold. So Two great topics and, and two great sections of, of Scripture, two good teachers, two good rooms, the Lafayette Worship Center, the Lafayette Fellowship Hall. Uh, so again, just make this a priority, make this part of your rhythm on Sunday morning, and I, I can promise you, uh, you'll be blessed by it. We just wrapped up a series out of Jonah this morning, and, and the teachers just did a, a really, really awesome job uh, bringing forth the, the message of that book. So that's where we're going, but again, we have, have one final week in, in this sermon series uh, out of 1 Kings 1 to 14. Uh, originally, a couple months ago when I was planning this out, I had wanted us to, to stop the series after the, the Solomon material. We would have stopped about two weeks ago, trace all the stuff in Solomon that we, we know pretty well and like, and then go through his, his downfall. But I, I decided that I, I wasn't really trying to have a series focused on Solomon. I was really trying to have a series focused on the crown and really uh, looking at the, 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 king, the role of the kings in Israel and giving them uh, more than, than one shot. And so I, I wanted to trace the storyline just a little bit further to see how the problems related to, to the crown really extend well beyond Solomon. And so he does come along, and as we've seen, he ends up setting a, a pretty uh, a negative tra trajectory for the other kings. But they come along, and Rehoboam and Jeroboam and the others, they're also culpable, just like Solomon was for, for their sins and in the way that they, they led uh, the people into sin. And so for the third straight week, going back to Solomon's downfall, and then a little bit of Rehoboam, Jeroboam, splitting of the kingdom last week, and then this week, uh, these sermons are inevitably going to have a little bit of a negative slant, which I apologize for to some degree, because I don't necessarily, I don't enjoy preaching this sort of text any more than some of you probably enjoy listening to it. Uh, however, these are sections of scripture that, that we ought to be studying, and I think we can still uh, glean 
both encouragement, but also so, some hard lessons from, from looking at uh, these texts. So I'd encourage you to just kind of, uh, I'm not really being negative. We're just looking at negative parts of, of Scripture, and, that, and that's part of our story. So we're going to finish out chapter 12 uh, and also chapter 13 and 14. So tons of texts. We're going to be doing that at a really high level. We're not zooming in too much. And, and we're going to be tracing what the uh, author of, of 1 Kings tells us about the reigns of uh, Rehoboam and Jeroboam. And we're going to put that to the side. I'm going to give you four kind of themes uh, that I have, I have really noticed over the course of this study. So that is not going to take four hours, I, I promise. So uh, have, your, have your Bibles open to, to 1 Kings chapter 12. Again, we're going to have it at a high level. Not much of it's going to be up on the screen. Uh, and let's, let's do pick up in verse 21. So last week we left off uh, chapter 12, verse 20. The kingdom is divided. Jeroboam goes up in the north to rule over Israel. Rehoboam's in the south with Judah. And this is how the story picks up in verse 21. When Rehoboam arrived in Jerusalem, which is in the south, he mustered all Judah and the tribe of Benjamin, 180,000 able young men, to go to war against Israel and to regain the kingdom for Rehoboam, son of Solomon. But this word of God came to Shemaiah, the man of God. Say to Rehoboam, son of Solomon, king of Judah, to all Judah and Benjamin, and to the rest of the people. This is what the Lord says. Do not go up to fight against your brothers, the Israelites. Go home, every one of you, for this is my doing. So they obeyed the word of the Lord, and they went home again as the Lord had ordered. And so when Rehoboam in the south realizes that the power that Jeroboam, which again, there's no family relation at all here, the names are just similar, that, that Jeroboam is gaining all this power up in the north, his natural instinct as sort of the leader he is, is to assemble his full forces and to go on an all-out assault uh, against the, the northern tribes. And fortunately, there's, there's actually a lot of prophetic activity in these couple of chapters. We mentioned how there's so... Uh, little prophetic activity in the life of Solomon, but we see a lot of prophets this week. Some are better than others. Um, but fortunately, there's this man of God named Shemaiah, and he appears to Rehoboam, and he reminds Rehoboam that the people in these ten northern tribes are ultimately their own brothers. These, these are their families. They are members of the other tribes that Rehoboam, up until just a few verses ago, uh, was in charge of, of ruling over them. And, and so he says, please don't go up north and immediately try to slaughter uh, the, the, these other tribes. And somewhat surprisingly, this is like potentially like the only act of obedience we're going to see in like two and a half chapters this morning. Uh, somewhat surprisingly, Rehoboam actually listens to his advice uh, here in 21 to 24. And he decides, at least for the time being, not to go to war against the north. And, and he recognizes that there's a need for peace and he recognizes the the family identity that he, that he has with, uh, with these other tribes. Now, that's going to be short-lived because, again, half the sermon title is Continual Warfare. Uh, but this is how the, the, the message is starting out with uh, Rehoboam going, you know what, I, I regret that we're divided, but you're right, man of God. I'm not going to go up to the north and, and fight against uh, my own people. And so uh, that's kind of where we leave Rehoboam in, in chapter 12. And then really the bulk of the next couple chapters is going to be on Jeroboam in the north then it comes back to Rehoboam uh, there at the end. So uh, keep going into to chapter 12. This is uh, now zooming in on what Jeroboam's thinking about in, in verse 26. So we're back up in the north. Jeroboam has not been destroyed by Rehoboam. 
uh, and th this is what's on his mind. So he, he thinks to himself in verse 26 of chapter 12, the kingdom will now likely revert to the house of David. If these people go up to offer sacrifices at the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem, they will again give their allegiance to their Lord, Rehoboam, king of Judah. They will kill me and return to King Rehoboam. And after seeking advice, this is an insane sentence in the Bible. After seeking advice, the king made two golden calves. Now we could probably stop reading there and you pretty much know what you need to know about the reign of of Jeroboam, because we're a few verses in here, and it says, after seeking advice, the king made two golden calves, which is never like a good little sign if you're reading uh, the Old Testament that someone's making golden calves. Uh, and, and yet, that's what he does. He said to the people, it is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Here are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. And so one he set up in Bethel, and the other in Dan. And this thing, surprisingly, became a sin. And the people came to worship the one at Bethel, and went as far as Dan to worship the other. Now we get a few more details about the, the reign of Jeroboam. Jeroboam built shrines. This is verse 31. He built shrines on high places, and he appointed priests from all sorts of people, uh, even though they were not Levites. He instituted a festival on the 15th day of the 8th month, uh, like a different festival, and he offered sacrifices. He did this in Bethel, sacrificing to the calves he had made. Are you getting the point? We're just getting... Detail after detail of Jeroboam just saying, you know what, if I don't get things under control up here in the north and allow the people to worship really easily and simply up here, if I don't kind of appease them, then they're all going to have to go back down south where they're actually supposed to be worshiping, and they're going to give themselves uh, back over to, to Rehoboam. And so really, right off the bat, we asked the question last week, okay, is Jeroboam or Rehoboam going to be better off than Solomon? Well, immediately, Jeroboam's reign is characterized by idolatry. And it's characterized by idolatry that is pretty selfishly motivated. It doesn't even seem like he cares too much about these golden calves. They're just a way that he can uh, keep his power and make sure that the, the people aren't going off uh, down south and, and uh, returning to their southern ways. It makes me think of this, like when Colby and Lacey go home in the south and they come back with a really thick southern accent. It's like, you can't let them go down south too much or, or they'll, they'll come back changed. Uh, so Jeroboam is saying, we, we don't want them to go south. We want them to stay north. And his solution uh, to, that, to that whole situation is, is to set up these, these idols, which is no good. So that's what happens in chapter 12. Not a, not a great start. And so as we flip to chapter 13, we encounter a, a really strange uh, and very overlooked episode in 1 Kings. This is a, a story about basically a prophetic response, a prophetic uh, confrontation to the idolatry that Jeroboam had just committed in, in these uh, previous verses. So we're not going to try to unpack this like 34-verse story, I think it is, for, for time's sake. But essentially, it's a, a story about two prophets who do end up expressing uh, a message from God, uh, even though in this particular chapter, these are not, don't seem to be great prophets. So both of these uh, dudes kind of end up making pretty significant mistakes even though they, they pass on a, a true message from God. Uh, and so I think it's, it's telling that right now even the prophets uh, that are speaking on behalf of God have, have pretty big issues in their lives. But their main message is, is really centered on this improper worship of Jeroboam. I think that's why this chapter found its way in, into 1 Kings. It's just this uh, story uh, about the, the response to, to Jeroboam's idolatry. The main point is really down at the end of this uh, chapter, down in verse 33 and 34, 
uh, that, that Trace read for us. And the narrator says, even after this, so even after this crazy series of events with these two prophets that we're kind of glazing over, uh, even after this prophetic confrontation, Jeroboam did not change his evil ways. But once more, he appointed priests for the high places from all sorts of people. Anyone who wanted to become a priest, he consecrated for the high places. This was the sin of the house of Jeroboam that led to its downfall and to its destruction from the face of, of the earth. So I would encourage you to go back and read the story that we're skipping over here in chapter 13 in one sitting to kind of see how, how this, uh, these prophetic events unfold. Uh, if you need to be enticed to do so, one of these prophets ends up getting attacked and killed by a lion. You're just like reading along, and then there's a lion attacking one of the prophets. So it's a really interesting story. Uh, but again, the, the, the function it plays uh, in, in the overall first, first king story um, is, is that Jeroboam has, has gone astray in his idolatry just, just as uh, Solomon did and just had, as Rehoboam did as well. So um, remember back from last week in, in chapter 11 how Yahweh had appeared to Jeroboam through Ahijah the prophet and he had said, hey, I'm willing to give you a fair shot at this kingship thing. Even though I made this covenant with the house of David, uh, I am choosing you to rule over these ten tribes. And if you will be faithful to me, uh, then you, you and your house will be just as blessed uh, as, as the house of, uh, of David. And we talked a little bit about how it seems like God is less concerned with someone's royal blood, and he's more concerned with having a king who will simply listen to him and actually uh, follow what, what he wants to do. And so here, just you know, chapter and a half or, or so later, Again, we have this sort of emphatic response that, that no, the house of Jeroboam is not going to be as blessed as the house of David. And I think that's why the language is as kind of intense as it is there. This was the sin of the house of Jeroboam that led to its downfall and to its destruction from the face of the earth. So that's chapter 13. Again, really encouraging. Try to stick with me. I can't hear, and the uh, text is negative. Uh, but this is good. We're, f- we're finishing out the story. Uh, stick with me a little bit because we'll, we'll land this thing. Uh, so then we get into to chapter 14. And I, I wonder at this point if, uh, if Jeroboam is thinking back to that conversation he had with Ahijah the prophet where he had appeared to him and he had made this promise from God uh, because he's continued to be idolatrous. He's co- continued to do all these things. And so chapter 14, the last story that we get about Jeroboam is actually a story about Ahijah the prophet. So it's kind of a, a, a full circle. The, when we're introduced to Jeroboam, it's through Ahijah the prophet, and then this final scene, he, this prophet is involved uh, as well. And basically what happens is uh, Jeroboam's son uh, becomes ill, and I think he wants to figure out what's going to happen to his son. And so he wants to go see Ahijah the prophet, but I think he understands that Ahijah the prophet is not probably going to be a big fan of his right now because he's been setting up idols everywhere and and doing all these things. So his solution is to send his uh, wife to Ahijah to inquire about the status of their son. And apparently Ahijah the prophet is blind by now. So Jeroboam comes up with this great plan. We're going to go to the prophet and we're going to trick him. And we're going to get the information we need out of the prophet without having to deal with any sort of uh, confrontation. And surely we'll be able to get what we need from, from God's man without having to kind of face the, the consequences. So, as you can imagine, it's difficult to trick a prophet of God, even if you're blind, because uh, they, they, like, talk to God. Uh, so they, can, they have some ways around the blindness. 
And so uh, he, the, the story unfolds. Point is, look at verse 7 of, uh, of chapter 14. This is what uh, the prophet says to Jeroboam's wife. He says, go, tell jo- Jeroboam that this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I raised you up from among the people and appointed you ruler over my people Israel. I tore the kingdom away from the house of David, and I gave it to you. This is all the stuff we read uh, back in chapter 11. But you have not been like my servant David. Notice everything always gets traced back to David. Not a perfect guy. Everything always goes back to David. You have not been like my servant David, who kept my commands and followed me with all his heart, doing only what was right in my eyes. You have done more evil than all who lived before you. You have made for, yourselves, made for yourself other gods, idols made of metal. You have aroused my anger and turned your back on me. And so, class, uh, does Jeroboam end up becoming the promised king that is going to rule with perfect righteousness and justice and uh, faithfulness and wisdom? The answer and the, the, the text is an emphatic no. So that's Jeroboam up in the north, and if my memory serves me right, I think I know this from Bible class growing up, there's like never, some of you will know this, but there's like never a, pot, there's never a good king in the north, all right? Looking at, I'm looking at you, Diane, you, right? Um, so there's, there's, never, there's never a king uh, in the north that is, is positive from here on out, and, and they're all following in the footsteps of, of Jeroboam. So uh, here, the, the very last section we're going to look at uh, up in verse 21 area, the narrator wraps up with Jeroboam in the north, and he says, one more time, let's check, let's check back in with Rehoboam and see, what's, see what Rehoboam's been up to uh, for these, these 17 years, or seven, yeah, 17 years, I think it is. So we get this, this one final blurb on what he's been doing down south. Uh, and verse 22 tells us, uh, and it uses that word evil again. It says, Judah did evil in the eyes of the Lord by the sins they committed, they stirred up his jealous anger more than those who were before them had done. And so just like with the house of Jeroboam, there is continual evil within the house of Rehoboam. Uh, and that sort of leads into the other part of this uh, little sermon title. Down in, verse 40, or down in verse 30, we get this little insight that says, there was continual warfare between Rehoboam and Jeroboam. So think back to the very first verses we read back in chapter 12 this morning, like verse 21-ish. Rehoboam is this man of God who responds to, uh, responds to this prophetic word and says, yep, I'm not going to go and, and fight my, my friends and my, my family up north. And yet here at the end of their reigns, after seven, another 17 years or so, we get this insight from the narrator that there was continual warfare between Rehoboam and, and Jeroboam. So if I was just going to sum that up, I would say that their reigns are a total mess. That everything we see go wrong with Solomon goes wrong with both of these guys. It doesn't matter that they come from different families. It doesn't matter that they're ruling in different uh, geographic areas, but they commit many of the same uh, mistakes, and they are just like their father, Solomon. And, and that's how we're going to wrap up this series. Not actually wrap it up, but that's, that's where we're, we're cutting off the text and that's the, the section uh, of Scripture, these 14 chapters that, that we're trying to uh, reflect over. What has kind of been sticking out to me in, in tracing this story a little bit beyond Solomon is to recognize that, that the fundamental problem in 1 Kings is not with Solomon specifically. It's that God is simply unable 
to find a single king whose reign can be completely characterized by wisdom and, and justice and righteousness and faithfulness. God desires to have a king on the throne whose reign will reflect his own sovereign reign over the whole world. Uh, but these human options that he has before him to, to the man are fallen humans. They're, they're fallen creatures who are broken and insufficient, and they're continually marred uh, by, by the effects of, of sin and evil. And so I think, even though this is a really negative section of Scripture, I think perhaps this is like the point of First and Second Kings, as we understand it in the overall biblical narrative, that there is no purely human king who has been or is going to be able to, to wear the crown appropriately. And this is why our next sermon series, even though we've been jumping to Jesus uh, a couple times in some of these sermons, uh, but our next sermon series is going to jump forward in the biblical storyline, keeping what we've seen with Solomon and Jeroboam and Rehoboam and all the ones to follow in mind. And we're going to focus on Matthew's story, ultimately of, of how God uh, cannot just choose these humans to, to rule uh, as kings over the kingdom, but this story that, that Matthew tells us of how God becomes king uh, in the person and through the work of, of Jesus Christ. So uh, that's where we're headed. What I, what I did want to do uh, here right at the end um, is to, to just kind of list four of the main themes or takeaways that, as I was looking back over my notes and as I was rereading some of these sections, I'm sure there's like 15 of them, and I'm sure if you read your study Bibles, they would say, here's you know, 25 themes or whatever. But these are just four of the big ones to me uh, as I've wrestled with this. And I would encourage you to do your own thinking. Okay, we've, we took nine or ten weeks to go through these 14 chapters, to study these scriptures, to apply it a little bit. So what is your main takeaway or a couple of your main takeaways from this portion of scripture that, that we don't study quite as often? So here, here were a couple of mine. Uh, number one, I've been struck by the way that, that God or, or Yahweh, as oftentimes he's referred to in the text, that Yahweh as the only true God, he demands exclusive worship. And that's something we have to wrestle with because in our human mindset, that can seem kind of selfish, right? Man, couldn't God give him a little wiggle room? Why, why does, does God want to be worshipped so much? But that is something that comes through uh, so emphatically in the text that God, who is the God over the universe, demands exclusive worship. And then so we see all this stuff about the idols and the idolatry committed and the improper worship in the high places and all of this stuff. But it comes down to this, this fundamental thing that beyond wives, beyond money, beyond all of these other moral issues, that God demands their, their worship of him. The second thing is, I guess, related to that, and it's that uh, idolatrous hearts, whether the people or among the kings, these idolatrous hearts typically develop alongside of their other moral shortcomings and, and sins. Uh, so this one's a little bit more extract, but if you kind of read the story again, there are instances of lust and greed and injustice and harsh violence and improper economic practices and all of these sorts of things, but they tend to be in correlation with people whose hearts have, have uh, left God. And so we're left with this, okay, yes, we can focus on all of these other issues and all these moral shortcomings, and those are important, uh, but they're ultimately tied up in these people whose hearts are no longer uh, committed to, to God. And so God demands worship. Uh, idolatry often goes hand in hand with, with these other things. 
And then the last two are a lot more positive. So we actually are, we are actually going to end on a high note here. And I think these last two uh, hopefully have come through uh, to you pretty strongly. Uh, the third one is, is that God demonstrates his sovereignty over human history by providentially working through people and events and all these prophets. And uh, as this whole history book unfolds, we can see the, the fingerprints uh, of God uh, all over it. Uh, and one, one commentator wrote this. He said, in Kings, the Lord controls history. There are idol gods, there are kings, there are prophets, but none of them control history like the Lord Yahweh. And that was something that very much came through to me, where I just see all these twists and turns and all the things going awry, and yet I can see the way that God was sovereign and he was working through all of these different circumstances. And, of course, that, that continues beyond uh, First Kings, and that continues in our, in our lives today. And then the last one, and, and the biggest one, is that God is a just and gracious promise giver and promise keeper. And I'm going to just shut that. I'm going to go a different route than whatever I wrote down there. I was struck uh, in class this morning. Nathan was teaching about the, the story of Jonah. And Jonah ends on this kind of question mark, right, that uh, we're... We're going to save these uh, Ninevite cows as well. Uh, and it's this kind of insane story that unfolds where God, yes, he saves the Ninevites who are their enemies and they don't want them to be saved and all that stuff that we really focused on in this class. But there's this kind of absurd conclusion, which is that God also saves all the animals. Some of the time it says the cattle. And I was just struck sitting there this morning knowing kind of what I was thinking about through kings and through this period of time, God is a promise keeper. Uh, he's in relationship with us. He wants to be in relationship with us. But we serve a God this morning who has it within his sovereignty and within his grace and within his mercy to save a bunch of cows from Nineveh. Okay? And I, I want you to just let that sink in because that's a, that's a kind of a crazy part of that story. But the point of it, I think, is to say that God can save and be in relationship with and bestow mercy upon or bestow judgment upon whoever he wants to. And none of us, whether we're in the story of Jonah or whether we're in the story of First and Second Kings, are in a place to, to tell God how he should be acting or, or how he should not be acting. And so we come before God this morning as the church and we can look back at these promises and we can say the promise that God made to King David, that he would have a son of David on the throne forever, has certainly come true uh, in the person of Jesus Christ. But we can look at all of these different portions of, of Scripture and see a God uh, who relentlessly pursues his entire creation. And yes, I'm not actually thinking like the Ninevite cows, like, like we'll be in heaven or something like that, like, like we were kind of talking about this, this, this morning. But the story is in there to, to help us be overwhelmed by the graciousness of God and the, the kindness of God that he has bestowed on all of us. And so I hope you feel that this morning. I, I hope we don't just read about Rehoboam and Jeroboam, and we go, those guys stink, and they deserve to be judged, and we stink, and we deserve to be judged. Now, I think God has chosen, in his infinite mercy, to bestow grace on me. And I think he's chosen to bestow grace on you. Uh, and if he wants to bestow grace on some cows, or on a prophet, or on a fallen king... I'm going to let him do that as well. So I hope you feel blessed this morning. I hope you will let the grace of God um, wash over you as we continue forward in our, our study and, and we look uh, towards 
King Jesus. Jim and Kathy are going to be back in the prayer room. Uh, If you need to, to pray with them for any reason, you can go back there. Let's stand and sing.